0: election year 2020 we are in the midst of it we're a week out from uh the presidential election and uh how do we engage this as christians it's a funny time in our world without a doubt and what does it look like to be faithful to jesus in the midst of it that's what we're going to be talking about today so listen in All right, grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Wednesday, October 28th. Uh, my name is Matt Barrios, and I'm here with Dave Lomas. Hello. Hello. Do you
1: have the pop, pop, pop?
0: Meow, <laughs> I know. There? I wish we had some sound effect buttons. I actually think we do in this thing. but we just uh, need to add that. Yeah. Uh, that would really help us stay focused yeah. and on topic for a gigantic topic like politics Well, we today. need a, uh, some comic relief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm already not having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. You and I will find a way to make it fun. I'm positive of that. So, um, yeah, we we decided that it's important to have a conversation about politics as we're like fresh upon casting our votes. Many of us have already put in ballots via Mm -hmm. mail and all that. And, um, being faithful to Jesus in how we engage politically is important. Um, and so that's what we're having a conversation about. And in order to do that, we decided to revisit a lecture done just last year, mm-hmm. which feels like a decade ago at yeah, this point. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Eugene Cho came and visited our church, gave a lecture on politics in our year of authentic community in order to just kind of paint a picture of what connecting in a unified communal mm. way, even on hot topics yeah. like political engagement. That's right. What does that look like? Uh, so Dave, what, what, kind of, uh, inspired you to take another look at this this year? Well,
1: I don't necessarily want to do this, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, being, uh, trying to be in a faithful pastor that we, we need to do this. Yeah. So I'm here out of need. I'm here out of love, not of want. Yeah. That's, that's kind of it. Um, I, I know that this is the topic that we're all thinking about. This is like, we've all think we, we've we all been anticipating this for four years this yeah. day. Yeah. A lot of people have. And, um, and the last year when we brought Eugene Cho out, he, he was releasing a book this year that he was just in the manuscript. Wasn't even finally edited yet called thou shall not be a jerk. And it's out now. It's an amazing book. You should go get it. And he, and I just, I begged him, could you just give your first public lecture on this book at our church? Cause mm. You know, your, it's your hometown. San Francisco is your hometown. Yeah, um, you know that sort of thing. And he 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 finally agreed to it, uh, almost reluctantly. And he did it, and it was incredible. And so I, I thought, instead of like just coming up with like what what to say, let's revisit like short little snippets of what he taught us, and we want to encourage you to go back, listen to the whole thing, and then um, comment on it. Just as mm. pastors at, at our church, commenting. Yeah. On uh, what the wisdom of Eugene, um, his like long obedience in the same direction in this in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then helping people like uh, how to f- frame how we're thinking about next week going into next week, because I know that there's different expectations for different groups of people. Um, and there's different ways that we are trying to prepare ourselves for a, an outcome either way. We have both um, people who lean conservative and Republican and people that lean liberal and Democrat. And everything in between in our mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. and people who listen online. So, how do we prepare our hearts, no matter who we are, as followers of Jesus, for next week?
0: Yes, and um, you know, one thing that stood out to me as we were like re-listening to this lecture uh, that Eugene gave at our church—it uh, was a year ago. It was November 2019 when he gave this lecture, and uh, and it was so interesting. So, I encourage everybody to go back and listen to this lecture you know, in the, in this next week or so, we'll put a link in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. And, uh, one thing that stood out to me, he's like opening it up and he's just kind of, uh, you know, goofing around with the crowd and winning us all over with some jokes. And, uh, then he's also telling like, yeah, you know, right now there, the world feels crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, 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 what was going on in November, 2019 that the world felt crazy? Cause now it feels crazy, right? Yeah. Like, uh, almost November, 2020. And, and so he is, uh, like talking about that, and I kind of looked back in the news. And I was like, Oh yeah, there was, there's gun violence. There was, um, there were more protests about you know gun violence. There's more about uh, international policy, and and uh, plus like what um, our president was saying on via tweet and whatnot, and and so there was like high controversy mm-hmm. uh, going on at that moment. And wouldn't you know it, a year later, it feels like it just never let up. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's what we're in they right now. They
1: actually put put the foot down on the gas, actually. (laughs) Just the whole nation did. Yeah, It is more crazy.
0: Yeah, it is more wild. So all the more important, I believe, for us to deeply consider what does engaging with politics faithfully as followers of Jesus look like? So that's what we're about today. And uh, in order to do that, we we just chosen a few quick snippets uh, from the lecture to play back to you. We'll provide some commentary, almost kind of like tailor fit it for our current moment. Yeah. And our, our church in this moment. Yes, exactly. And um, yeah, and then uh, we'll provide some commentary. So first of all, let me keep this first one, um, uh, a first little quote, and uh, we will listen to it and then we'll come back with some comments.
2: We've normalized violent rhetoric, mocking, bullying, and the demonization of, quote, the other. Clearly, we can't blame it merely on the broad umbrella of politics, but it's plain to many that something has significantly shifted in our culture and politics to our detriment. Now, within the church, it's all too convenient to blame the larger culture and society. As I shared last night in our talk, in the church it is convenient to kind of blame something in secular culture that ails the world. But I think as it is with many topics, we should be equally concerned by the manner in which Christians are engaging the political machine. For example... Certain Christians have altogether dismissed and disengaged themselves from the political process. Either because it's too exhausting or because of the theological bent that shapes their conclusion that as a follower of Jesus, they should only focus on spiritual things. Simultaneously, I'm concerned by Christ followers who appear to be overly obsessed by politics. And by this, I mean we've chosen to justify everything we do for the sake of our political ideologies, views, or convictions. Additionally, I'm concerned by Christians who are heavily influenced by a vision of cultural Christianity. Christianity and the power we can wield in our society without necessarily being the ways and the heart of Christ.
0: All right. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that.
1: Yeah, there is. I think the thing that's standing out out to me the most is how um, we have allowed, uh, and the church is very complicit in this, um, we have allowed our politics to divide us um, Mm. into, Uh, even in the church, a two-party system that the church does not fit in. But we won't collectively say that. We won't collectively say as a church, we do not fit in a two-party system and we will not fit in your two-party system, America. We are other. We are other, not in a derogatory way like he says it, but we're, we're like kingdom people. And uh, a friend of mine just shared this with me a couple weeks ago. He's like 50 years ago, the, uh, they did a family study where they asked parents, "What's the the most um, grievous thing that uh, that your uh, that your child would bring home to meet you? Like, what kind of person?" And the answer was, uh, predominantly, someone from a different race. Hmm. If my child brings home someone from a different race, um, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have some problems. They asked that same question uh, just in this center and like. The last couple of years and they said overwhelmingly it's politics mm. some wow. when my child brought home someone from a different political um party i would have mm. i would have a lot of problems with that yeah and we've divided the world like and the church is divided like this too mm. i mean you you actually literally have republican churches and democratic churches yeah. churches that are patriotic and churches that are are not and i think what G- eugene clicked into was um christianity Religion has power; it just does. Mm-hmm. There's something powerful when you're you're appealing to people's sense of believing in God, and you get people to follow uh, yeah. God by following your church. And so, Christianity has been in America and throughout the centuries drunk with this kind of power as well. Mm. And this is the you know New Testament language of uh, empire. This is the mm-hmm. um, this is like what a lot of commentators believe the Book of Revelation is entirely about. It's about yeah. Um, Babylon is empire. It's like getting Mm. in bed um, with the harlot Mm.
0: and uh, the church in America has done that with um, politics. Yeah. Oh man. I I see that all over the place and it's not, uh, it's not just one party doing it actually. Like I I think you're super spot on that. There's certain churches that are going to be Republican churches or Democrat churches and not experience the nuance that comes with the kingdom of God, which does not split along party lines. Yeah. Um, Uh, I, it reminds me a little bit, uh, I think you you had quoted Tim Keller once in a, in a sermon where he talks (laughs) about just once. I've only, Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. One, one time I was just like, Oh, that's an interesting (laughs) guy. I'll have to look him up. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he was mentioning, uh, that there's like a few pillars of, uh, of Christianity and how they engage society in Mm -hmm. the world. And it's like half of those things sound super liberal and half of those things sound super conservative and they're all Christian. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing that's complicated about, uh, you know, like engaging in the political system in the United States at this moment is to be a Christian, as you're saying, is to be other. That's right. And uh, it makes me think about the way that um, a core attribute of who God is is that God is holy. Right. And to be holy means to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be different and other. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things that's important for us to do as followers of God is to embrace his holiness, his otherness. And uh, as we're transformed increasingly into Christ likeness, find ourselves as being holy and set apart and different and oddballs yeah. in our world, you know?
1: Yeah. And even just to put some teeth in what you were saying about Keller, Keller he he said that, um, uh, and, and he gets this from the book Destroyer of the Gods, where he says there's the five distinct of Christianity that actually changed Rome and are actually pretty distinctive of that should be distinctive of the church today. And he said, mm-hmm. uh, five five things that that Christianity was in the first century. It was highly multi-ethnic. And the second thing is they're very, very committed to the poor. Three is they were non-retaliatory. Mm-hmm. Four is they were pro-life. And five, there was a original Christian sex ethic that drove them. Mm-hmm. And he goes, two of them sound very like. Democrat and mm-hmm. then two of them sound very Republican. And the middle one is no one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's retaliatory. Yeah. And, um, he goes and see, even to today, the church shouldn't fit in these two things. Um, it actually mm-hmm. should be, um, uh, you would, that's why, that's why voting is so hard right now. It right. So it hard. is,
0: Let's talk about that for a sec, because I voted. I just mailed in our ballot today. I love it. Ash and I
1: voted on Sabbath. We got the thing out and we just like <laughs> prayed and we're like, "God help me." And then, yeah, uh, we read up on all the stuff, and it was so exhausting. Ash, we didn't want to do it because it was so emotionally exhausting. Yeah,
0: I think that you know, on that note, uh, just real quick, this has been my my recent thought because I'm also. I look for ways to get out of voting as much as possible because I'm just like, oh, this is such a pain. And how would I, you know, it feels like this lesser of two evils choice like almost Literally all the time. Ashley said that about every single thing we're voting. Yes. Lesser
1: of two evils. I'm like, that's not a, I don't know if that's a thing. I mean, it's a yeah. thing, but it shouldn't be a thing. But I don't even know, yeah. is there a category for lesser of two evils in the Bible? I like, I don't know. What. I don't know. <laughs> I don't
0: know, but like, uh, there's- like, I choose this demon, not that demon. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose sloth is better than gluttony. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, just do that. Um, I, I think, even though I think gluttony is way better, but anyways, way better. <laughs> oh, enough about that. But yeah, like this whole lesser of two evils, like the vote, it's like, uh, how do I choose between bad and worse? Right. Like, uh, and of course there's going to be some things that are like shining, obvious things where I'm like, okay, this is about caring for people who are exploited. And that feels clear enough. But at the same time, like, uh, especially in, you know, San Francisco politics at this moment, there's all of these measures on the ballot. There's, uh, of course there's the presidential race that's going on too. And, uh, to not fit clearly within political parties as I find myself, uh, not doing, uh, it's, it's a tension. It's a major tension to think about like, uh, which candidates to choose. And even though I have chosen at this point, like, Um, Who did you No. (laughs) Who was it? Who was it? (laughs) Well, I think something that
1: Eugene said in his lecture was, um, our call as followers of Jesus in the midst of a, uh, an election year and in the midst of politics, he does talk about, I don't know if we're sharing this clip, but Hmm. how he talks about how politics matter. He said politics matter because politics inform policy that ultimately impact people and people matter to God. Therefore politics matter. And it was like such a really good logical Conclusion, like, yeah, it's, that's why politics matter. But he says, the way that we engage politics as Christians is we have to be faithful amid tension. Mm -hmm. So we have to be faithful, um, even though managing the tension of a two-party system, managing the tension of us living in a very, very, very liberal city, um, mm-hmm. And not getting swept up in the liberalism of our city, mm-hmm. um, staying faithful to Jesus. Yeah, um, I find that really hard, and I would imagine people in Texas find that equally as hard, oh, yeah. or you know, South Carolina or whatever. Right. I don't, I don't know what those states are if they're red or blue, but whatever, <laughs> like sure. a red one, you know. Yeah. Um, and like if they are like, yeah, staying faithful to Jesus in a very conservative place mm-hmm. where there's some things that don't line up with with uh, our faith is really hard, mm-hmm. and so to be faithful and with attention, it's supposed to be hard. It It yeah. is yeah. like no one said that being a follower of Jesus was going to be easy. Mm-hmm. If someone told you that they were lying to you to try to get you to buy something or something, <laughs> Totally. But it's totally, not easy at all.
0: Yeah. If you're following Jesus, you signed up for hard and uh, you signed up for participating in Christ's suffering, even if it means casting a ballot when you don't yeah. want to, or it feels really irksome and difficult. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, one last thought that I have about voting in particular is uh, I was reflecting on, uh, Christ saying uh, when they're trying to catch him in a lie or catch him, uh, pull a sneaky thing on him. And they're like, uh, should we pay taxes to mm-hmm. Caesar is their question. And he says, we'll give to Caesar. What is Caesar's and to God, what is God's. Yeah. Right. And I think some of that extrapolates to thinking about uh, voting in a democratic society like ours. Right. Um, well, part of what we we get to give, we owe even to a democratic nation is our vote. Um, and so just like how we must faithfully, you know, pay taxes so long as it doesn't, uh, you know, like utterly destroy, uh, you know, God's plan for the world or something like that. Uh, we also need to give our vote. Mm -hmm. And, and that's basically one of my reflections lately is what does it look like to give unto the government? Um, what is due, which is my participation as a citizen uh of this government and knowing that i'm also kind of standing apart as a christian and that's kind of a difficult tension to be in but i have a vote that has been given to me and a ballot that i get to turn in yeah yeah i think
1: and i would if i was to take that analogy a little further Mm -hmm. what i what what caesar gets from me next week is my vote and my voice but it it doesn't he doesn't get my allegiance Yes, I think that's the biggest part. I give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? I pay my taxes. I vote. I have a voice in how this nation is run. Even though it's just one voice, I have a voice. Um, I have a way to get involved. And then the the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Greenpeace Party or whatever mm-hmm. doesn't get my allegiance. Only King Jesus gets my allegiance. Yeah, To give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and then God which belongs to God, our mm-hmm. ultimate allegiance. Um, good. That needs to be... That, I mean, if we're talking about pastoring our people through this. You have to give your allegiance to Jesus and, and the kingdom he's bringing.
0: Oh, uh, that's so true. And I think Eugene's going to be talking about that more as we keep listening.
2: But oftentimes when we talk about politics, our natural first question is, what's your politics? Are you a Democrat or Republican? And in my mind, I think to myself, is it possible to have politics be fully embodied by broken human institutions. Consider this sharp rebuke from Thomas Merton for both progressives and conservatives alike in one of his books. He says, quote, I see little real substance in the noisy agitations of progressives who claim to be renewing the church and who are either riding some rather silly bandwagon or caught up in factional rivalries. As for conservatives, they are utterly depressing (laughs) in their tenacious clinging to meaningless symbols of dead power, their Baroque inertia, their legalism. This was written a long time ago.
1: All right. Yeah, I think that... What he's pointing out, I think almost all of us can put our finger on this, but it feels a lot different when we're when we actually move inside of our politics or what we believe. but um we we can we can point out on both sides we should be able to mm-hmm. the problems with a uh, the democratic party and liberalism and then Republican party and conservatism we can we as Christians we should be able to see both of their shadow sides. Mm-hmm. Um, we sh- we need to be thinking deeply about both their shadow sides so that we don't get caught up in like, in like um, putting all our hope into one of these parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I've been thinking about it and the way I would encourage and pastor our church to think about this and even what's happening, what's going to happen next week. How do you prepare your heart for what's going to happen and not put all your hope in a certain outcome that you want to happen but how do you prepare your heart for what might happen, even if you don't like it? And I would say um, a couple of scriptures have come to my mind. Um, the first one is, is Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer is talking about um, Abraham. And he, and he says that, By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And he says this, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Hmm. He was looking forward to a city that God was building or a country that God was building, who is the architect and the builder. And I want to say it's not America. It is not America. It is not any other country. It is the kingdom of heaven that God is building and we have to be looking forward to this kingdom come. We have to. So that's the overarching thing. And then mm-hmm. if I clicked into that, I would say this. Mm-hmm. For those of you who will be um, grieving next week, the thing that you were hoping for doesn't happen. For those of you that will be grieving, I want to say this. Prepare your heart this way. Paul in First Thessalonians tells the people who are grieving, people who've died, He says, you do not grieve. We can grieve, but we are not to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Mm -hmm. For we believe that Jesus died, rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. So what Paul is doing there, he's like, don't grieve without hope. You have hope that is in Jesus' resurrection and his second coming when all the dead in Christ will rise and be with God forever. Hope in that. So mm. if you're grieving next week, hope in a kingdom coming. Mm. Don't put your hope in this world. Look forward to a kingdom that's coming. And if you grieve, you might be grieving next week. Don't grieve without hope. Mm. Now, if you're rejoicing next week, if you're rejoicing because a thing that you wanted to have more than anything is happening, I'm reminded of Jesus' words to the apostles that he sends out. And gives them power over demons. And they come back, they're like, oh my gosh, the demons listen to us. Hmm. And she's like, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning, but don't rejoice that the demons obey you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Hmm. Again, he's pulling your eyes upward yeah. to a kingdom that's coming. This is mm-hmm. this is how you grieve. This is how you hope. This is how you rejoice. Mm-hmm. You re- all of it's tempered. All that of it's good. tempered for with a coming kingdom in mind. Mm-hmm. If we grieve without hope, we have our eyes only on this world. Oh, if we man. rejoice, um, simply because of the, all the goodness in this world, we're not rejoicing in the ultimate thing, which is our names be written in heaven. And so I'd say, whatever, how do you prepare your heart in this like really contested mm-hmm. week is to f- seek first the kingdom of yes. heaven and his righteousness. mm mm-hmm seek first.
0: That is so good. Um, you know, just this last week, um, I was driving, uh, my wife, Lindsay was driving and she was on a phone call and I was just like, had quiet alone time by myself, uh, for a minute where I was just perfectly still. And, and I found myself just kind of eyes shut, just really grieving the state of the world, um, how it is right now and how, how sad it is. And the thing that got me about it was how, um, just the lack of righteousness in the world um, like god's righteousness isn't something that's upheld or desired or valued or mm. brought into the conversation so often yeah and uh and and God's righteousness is fundamentally rooted in uh loving God yeah. right the first law that he gives like the ultimate law as Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your strength hope, and so on right and and if we're if we're looking for righteous righteous people, righteous society, a righteous world, uh, which I think is partly what political engagement is about, is to try to help move the dial towards righteousness in the world. The thing that is so often missing is the love of God mm. being at the center of that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, weirdly, like as we're praying and I'm reflecting on this, I've been just like tearing up with this burden and this deep grief about I just really wish people loved God. Yeah. And cause loving God puts everything else in perspective and it goes back to what you're saying to seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness Yeah, uh, and everything will be added to you. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, and so, um, you know, for people listening, um, a sure place to be putting our hope, uh, regardless of political circumstances and also to help us discern, uh, our political choices, is the love of God uh, not just receiving God's love, but saying, "God, I love you." How can I maximize my love for you in how I, uh, in the organizations I give to, you and the vote that I cast, and all of that? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and and so uh, just the encouragement to love God. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. All right. Well, let's listen to another clip.
2: One of the chapters in the book is about relationships. And I really believe that our politics is skewed because we actually don't have relationships outside other people that confirm our narratives. After the horrific injustice of Michael Brown's shooting in St. Louis, there was some research done around the nature of relationships and friendships. And check this out. In a 100-friend scenario, they asked people of different backgrounds, particularly ethnic backgrounds. In a 100-friend scenario, they, they found that the average white person has 91 white friends, one each a black, Latino, Asian, mixed race, other races, and three friends of unknown race. The average black person, on the other hand, has 83 black friends. Eight white friends. Kind of makes sense because there's more white people than African Americans. Two Latino friends. This is very disturbing. Zero Asian friends. What's up? (laughs) Three mixed-race friends one other race friend, and four friends of unknown race, for Asian Americans, one of the most insular group. The reason why I share this is we're having discussions about some of the most pertinent, relevant things around how decisions are made impacting people, and we actually don't know other people. We just don't know other people. And there's something about, not that we become incredibly culturally well-versed or deeply empathetic, but there's something about placing ourselves in a situation that gives us a slightly different perspective. I'll just kind of give you an example. Uh, This past year, I've started biking for the very first time. Out in Seattle, and I love it. But for the last 17, 22 years of living in Seattle, I've hated cyclists. <laughs> Do you know why? Because I drive everywhere. So I look at cyclists and I'm like, ah, they're so irresponsible. And I'll say sometimes horrific things. I don't know who they are, but I'm like, you know, I don't say, God bless you, I say other stuff. <laughs> and then something happened. I got on a bike. And now that I'm biking, I hate car drivers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Uh, biking. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, when I first, you, you, you
0: cycle yes like everywhere around the city. Yeah, yeah. All I do is get around by bike around here. And, and cars are evil. They're the worst, yeah. I mean, I'm always dodging them. And, yeah. I,
1: and I, I rode a bike when I first moved to San Francisco and I thought the same thing. And then now I'm exclu- exclusively car and i think cyclists are the worst because <laughs> they don't obey any 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 traffic anything if they expect all the cars to
0: the pendulum swing yeah. yeah so but i think what he was
1: what i think was so good about this point um is you shouldn't ride a bike in no uh,
0: <laughs> that's think, what stuck with me yeah. too dave yeah <laughs> i
1: think what was so good about this point was that we don't really understand the the other side unless we, we can honestly listen to the other side mm-hmm. and I've been trying to listen to people that are both. Why are you voting for, or if they're like, I support Biden, why do you support Biden? You know, mm-hmm. or I su- support Trump. Why do you support Trump? What is the thing? Not an emotionally charged thing. Mm-hmm. I can't start this conversation thinking one side is the devil. This right, is right. This is the problem. When you demonize someone, you remove them from being human. And then you're able to treat them like demons. Mm. You're able to treat them like like the enemy. You, mm. it's mm. it's all is fair in the way I treat you now because you are the devil. When we do wow. that, we're in trouble. We are. So when That's we do so that true. to Trump, we forget that Donald Trump is a human being made in the image of mm-hmm. God and because he's a president we need to pray for him. When you stop thinking like that, and mm. think that, I can't even say his name. He's number 40, whatever he is, yeah. 50, whatever. Seven, 50, or something f- like that. Whatever president he is. People yeah. call him like number whatever president he is. Yeah. I'm really horrible, obviously, <laughs> with politics. Should not be doing this podcast. Um, and they dehumanize him. But yeah. this is the very thing that people accused him of doing. Bullying and dehumanizing. But they become the bully and dehumanize mm-hmm. him. And I think that cycle is so sick. It it's is. so sick. Mm-hmm. But people do the same thing with Biden. He is... They demonize him, they mm-hmm. make him the other, he's the worst thing to happen to Christianity, yeah. and therefore, we have to fight against him. And we mm-hmm. just have to listen to, okay, we're not gonna demonize, why? Why are you voting for Donald Trump? Yeah. What, what are your, your values that you're kind of holding onto and, and, mm-hmm. and putting that into a vote for him? What, it, what is it about Joe Biden that you're, um, or whatever, whoever else yeah. you're writing, Kanye West, well, yeah. why are you <laughs> right. voting, you know? Because Jesus is king, you know, because the album. <laughs> yeah, it's, really it's good a album. really good album. It's a really good album. So I th- I, it's really, really important. I think my two pastoral things here is don't demonize. When you yeah. demonize, this is what we kind of have to do. This is one, one, one way that you know you're demonizing. When you're able to hate this person, mm-hmm. able to hate them, like yeah. with a cold hatred, and you you've probably demonized them and you made them less than human, you've dehumanized them, and you're able to treat them like, Garbage. Mm-hmm. When we do that, um, we have left the realm of like Christian, uh, ethics mm-hmm. and the way that Jesus teaches us to live in the world. We just, you've left that you've completely yeah. left that stop, mm-hmm. um, that everyone's made in the image of God and everyone is, is, is wor- be is worthy yeah. to be treated like a human being. That is good. Um, and then to go in, I don't agree with your politics. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine.
0: You know, totally
1: but just to step in and go, why? Like I'm, I understand why people vote for Trump and, and a conservative, sure. um, uh, you know, yeah. government. Yes. And I understand why people are voting for Biden and, uh, you know, a not so conservative, you know, <laughs> yeah. any government. So I I understand. Um, and I agree and disagree, you know, different, yes. with different
0: things. Right, right, right. It, it makes me think about, um, like, in order to even wrestle well with somebody, they have to be a human being. Yeah. With you, you know, like. Uh, because otherwise you're, you're, um, you're not dealing with a a person. So I, I'm thinking about like one of my friends in particular, and he's probably my favorite sparring partner in life. You know, he's a very challenging type of guy and it's fun to have back and forth with him about just about anything. And, uh, and you know, he's, he is on the different side of the political divide than I am. Right. And we have incredible conversations where Dude, I love this guy. This guy's like a brother to me. He's one of my closest friends, um, you know, part of my wedding party. And, and he's like, uh, yeah, thinks differently than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have some real debate, some real back and forth. And I love getting to spar with him. And it almost even adds to some of the intimacy that we feel. But it takes first exactly what you're describing, treating him like a human being who has some ideas that are worth taking in and engaging with. And I think he feels the same way about me. So, I think it's super important to do that for the sake of being united and not writing people off. Yeah,
1: yeah. And if I can, kind of maybe some closing thoughts as we land this plane on politics and next year's next week's election and everything that will ensue, because it could be a, a bloodbath mm. for weeks to come. It could yeah. be. Yeah. Um, not literal. God willing.
0: Please, Lord. No.
1: Yes. <laughs> Gosh. Um, we can't demonize. Mm. We have to stop doing that. Um, demonizing both administrations, Mm. uh, both sides. And if you find yourself not liking, uh, liberal Christians because you're a conservative Christian or you find yourself not liking conservative Christians because you find yourself to be more liberal, um, you have, you have broke fellowship, the fellowship that Jesus made through Mm. his own body and blood. Mm-hmm for a political for a, for caesar mm. you've done that for caesar wow. you've done that for um empire mm-hmm. babylon nebuchadnezzar i mean you can name it it's probably easier sometimes to name it in biblical language than it is in like physical like wow. for the democratic party republican party because it's not as triggering mm. but you've done that and you mm. and we cannot do that we cannot do that and i hope that our church does not become just all one party church i want you yeah. know it's kind of hard in san francisco because you don't really get that many people, conservative people that just live and stay here for a long term. Mm. Um, but I, I don't want that in our, in our, in our church. And I don't want that, um, in our community at all. And so mm. I'd say, you know, make sure that you're watching your heart and you're preparing yourself, uh, to live into a kingdom that whose architect and builder is God and is coming soon. Like I said, don't rejoice without that knowledge and do not mourn without that knowledge. Mm.
0: That's good, Dave. Thanks so much and. Yeah, just encouragement to all of you to keep, uh, yeah, keep following Christ. Keep navigating this through prayer, through love for God, through connection with your Christian community, and even being willing to be stretched and uh, move beyond what you would have expected. Mm -hmm. Um, So blessings to all of you as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that everything will be added to you. In Jesus' name, amen.